Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome to episode number 15 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I am your host, Caitlin Fusco, and guys, I once again, I'm so excited about this episode. Today, we are talking with Jenny McGrather, who is the founder, creator, owner of Nourished Kitchen, which is a traditional foods-based blog, and it, she also has several cookbooks that she has created over the years. Um, the Nourished Kitchen was her first, and Broth and Stock is her second. She's a certified nutritional therapist. She hosts workshops and speaks internationally on topics of food activism, sustainable agriculture, and culinary heritage. Jenny also is a home birth mother, so she is just a phenomenal resource, and it was amazing to get to sit down and talk with her today. As you'll find out later in the episode, I'm kind of addicted to her pregnancy tea recipe, um, so you'll have to check out the show notes for that as well. Before we jump into her interview, I would like to thank our reviewer of the week, who is singing-angel2008. She said, Caitlin does a great job bringing awareness to the midwifery and home birth care. Her story and the stories from other women she has interviewed are truly inspiring and incredible to hear. I feel like if this is a topic you're curious about or you are planning this type of prenatal care, this is a great place to get information and to hear other women's experience. What better way to learn more about this subject than from real stories from women who have been through it? I cannot wait to hear more of what she has planned and lined up for this podcast channel because I feel that it's going to be amazing. Thank you so much, Singing Angel 2008. If you will send me an email at Caitlin at myhappyhomebirth.com, then I will send you a Happy Home Birth podcast sticker. If you guys didn't see, I posted this past weekend a picture of one of those Happy Home Birth stickers in action on one of our reviewers, or actually one of our podcast guests, Neely's uh, coffee cup. She had posted it on Facebook, so I, I reposted it on our Instagram. It is very cute. Remember, the way that you get those is by sending in a review to iTunes. That helps me tremendously. And let's continue on Instagram with the sharing screenshots so I can add them to my story and put you in my shout outs. Just take a screenshot when you're listening to an episode and put it in your story uh, and tag at Happy Home Birth Podcast. That has been really lively lately, and I am very appreciative. I'd also like to take this time to thank our sponsors for this week's episode. We have Hatched at Home Midwife Carrie LaChapelle. Hatched at Home Midwife Carrie LaChapelle is a licensed midwife, CPM of 12 years, and she offers home birth services in the upstate of South Carolina. She provides evidence-based prenatal care, mama-baby family-centered home birth care, including water birth, and mama-baby postpartum care from birth to six weeks and beyond. Carrie also offers extras like beautiful bang hunk belly binding for the postpartum period, and she carries a wide variety of wish garden tinctures in her office. The great thing about Carrie is that she offers a free consultation to see if she is a good fit for your birth. So please visit her at Hatched website at www.hatchedathome.com, or you can find her on Facebook at Hatched Midwife Carrie LaChapelle, or just get in touch with her by giving her a call at 864-907-6363. Our second sponsor is Dr. Ashley Denoy of Body Works Physical Therapy. 
BodyWorks Physical Therapy specializes in helping active moms in all stages of life, including pregnancy, move and feel their best to do the activities that they love. Dr. Ashley takes a holistic approach to get to the bottom of your issues for lasting results. Whether it's running, yoga, Pilates, lifting, jumping, or playing with your kids, BodyWorks Physical Therapy will ensure you get to keep exercising and enjoying your life without limitation. You can find her on Instagram at bodyworks.pt. She posts a lot of amazing videos there, uh, both workout related and just kind of everyday stuff like how to unload the dishwasher while baby wearing. So she's a phenomenal resource. You can find her on Facebook. You can also find her Facebook group, Mama Body Works, where she posts a lot of the similar Instagram things, and it's a nice, vibrant community there. You could also contact her at bodyworks-physicaltherapy.com. I am so grateful for both of our sponsors. Thank you guys so much. And if you're interested in sponsoring an episode as well, you are welcome to contact me at Caitlin at myhappyhomebirth.com. That's also where you can get in touch with me if you are interested in being interviewed. With all of that being said, let's jump on over to the interview. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on Happy Home Birth. It's my pleasure. Um, it's my pleasure to speak with you. I think home birth is uh, really critical for women, and I'm really excited to talk about my experiences um, with that. Wonderful. Well, I would love for you to just start by introducing yourself to my listeners, uh, your family, and kind of talk about Nourished Kitchen. Sure. My name is Jenny McGrother, and I have been running Nourish Kitchen, my goodness, for 11 years now. Um, it started a bit as a, as a hobby, um, and it became a, a vibrant community of people who are really committed to traditional foods and, um, you know, healthy, wholesome eating for their family. Uh, I'm also the mother of two children. I have a 13-year-old and a two-year-old, so there's quite a bit of space between my children. Um, and I'm also married to my husband, Kevin, and we've been together, I want to say, um, close to 20 years, um, several years before we had our first child. And Part of the reason I started Nourish Kitchen is because I found uh, this traditional foods pathway, uh, wholesome eating, uh, whole foods, inclusive of animal products. Um, after years of suffering from some pretty poor health, I had been diagnosed with thyroid disease and polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I'd struggled with, you know, hormonal imbalances and I had struggled with, you know, disorders of infertility. And this way of eating was really instrumental, um, to my gain, uh, regaining my own health. That's incredible. That, that seems to be the story of so many people too, of, you know, finding traditional foods and just how that is able to completely overhaul their health. So that's amazing to hear and how that played a role in your infertility issues. Absolutely. In fact, um, you know, when I was in my early twenties, um, I had had all of these, you know, really strange symptoms. And I kept going to the, the clinic on my college's campus. And they were like, wow, it sounds like a thyroid imbalance, but your lab work is fine. So you're probably just under stress. And my goodness, I heard that for years so much so that I started to believe it. I started to believe that it was just all in my head, just like the doctors were telling me. And, um, and one day I went to a health fair and I got um, some lab panels run 
that had been run a million times before and had shown nothing. And, and sure enough, those lab panels that day happened to show a severe thyroid condition, Graves' disease. Uh, yeah. And I went to my doctor um, and she, you know, she said, okay, with PCOS and this thyroid condition and all of these hormonal imbalances, I just want to let you know that you are probably never going to get pregnant on your own ever. <laughs> It was a very, and when you're 24, that's a really, uh, that's a very difficult thing to hear. It's a very, uh, it sounds like a, a life sentence. It's very, sure. Very know, heavy. It's very heavy. That's right. It's very heavy. Um, and what was fascinating is that I began to work with an endocrinologist to address the, the, my, um, my health issues and in conjunction with, uh, you know, pharmaceutical medication to address it. Uh, she recommended that I began to begin to shift my diet. Now I felt at that time that I had been eating a brilliantly healthy diet. It was resolutely low fat. It was uh, vegetarian leaning toward vegan, lots of those healthy, healthy soy foods that I had been told for years <laughs> and years and years were good for me. Um, and sure enough, she made some, some, recommendations that I shift uh, how I eat. So I did. And I got to tell you, within three months of making those shifts, I got pregnant. Three months. Oh, um, wow. Child. That's amazing. That is, that's a whole body overhaul very quickly. Very quickly. And it was when my first child was, um, gosh, when he was about maybe nine or 10 months old that I came across the Weston uh, Price Foundation and the concept of traditional foods. And, um, you know, my husband and I began to work in farmer's markets. We began to organize CSAs and I started Nourish Kitchen as a way to, you know, bring these wholesome ancestral heritage foods back to the forefront. And That's back in amazing. 2007, nobody was talking about, but butter was still bad for you back in 2007. And, and nobody was talking about bone broth or kombucha um, or sauerkraut. And I am so pleased to see how these traditional foods have become mainstream. Yes, you're so right. Even when I kind of found traditional foods, which was 2012, 2013, you know, it was still just on the cusp, you know, it hadn't quite caught on yet. And then there's just been this huge boom and it is such a wonderful thing to behold. Yes. And when you talk about traditional foods, I would love for you to kind of go into what that means to you. What, what kind of dietary principles you guys live by? So for us, when I say traditional foods, I mean the foods of your great, great, great grandparents. I mean, the foods that have nourished generation upon generation of healthy families for, you know, millennia. Uh, traditional foods are the foods that came before the industrial revolution. They are the foods that became, that came before, um, we began to hydrogenize our fats and they are the foods that came before the green revolution of, you know, the 1950s in which we started to use a lot of chemical fertilizers and chemical ag agricultural inputs and began processes of monocropping and uh, a more industrialized big, big food supply. So these traditional foods, what are those? Those are things that um, have been made for generations of, of healthy families. They're things like sauerkraut, you know, you didn't have the ability to go to the grocery store 
year-round like we do now. So you would have to garden and take your uh, cabbage that had been grown in a naturally mineral-rich soil and preserve it uh, so that your family would have something to eat uh, over over winter. And so sauerkraut and fermented foods were born. Um, they are things like uh, long-simmered broths um, in which, you know, you didn't have the luxury of throwing away uh, bones from your animals, so you would uh, simmer them into these nourishing, protein-rich broths. Um, they are sourdough bread. You know, before we had easy access to baker's yeast, everything was leavened with the natural yeast and, and bacteria that we captured in our homes to, you know, or sourdough starters. And we would create these um, nutrient-rich breads that way. So these are foods that um, that have helped families like ours nourish themselves over generations before it started to change our food supply. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. And in relation to your pregnancy and birthing experience, how did those traditional foods play a role? So it sounds like you kind of started to shift your diet and that's how you got pregnant. Yes. Um, what did the rest of your pregnancy look like? You know, my first pregnancy, um, I was so nervous about these health conditions, about uh, being sick and, and having thyroid disease. And so, um, you know, I went with an OBGYN and, and that pregnancy, it was, I always felt that there was um, a disconnect between um, the doctor that I had attending my pregnancy and my birth and me as as a client. I wasn't his client. I was his patient. Um, there was this authoritarian dynamic uh, that I felt that that my voice was was kind of lost in that dynamic. Um, later, with my second child, I ended up with a uh, home birth midwife, and I'm so thankful that I had that experience as well because it was a completely different dynamic. Uh, with my with my home birth than it was with my my eldest hospital birth, um, and throughout both pregnancies, uh, I certainly in my first one I hadn't yet come across traditional foods, but I did adjust my diet based on the endocrinologist's recommendations. So I was eating far less, um, you know, soy foods that I've been told were so healthy, and I I was craving my goodness, I was craving wild caught salmon and fish. Um, throughout that pregnancy. And then with my second, uh, the, the pregnancy with my second child, um, we had been uh, adhering to a traditional food style of eating for um, about a decade. And I you know, consumed lots of, you know, fresh vegetables and fermented vegetables and stews made with grass-fed bison, uh, pastured eggs, uh, I, you know, I ate a lot of fresh oysters. I'm here in the Pacific North, Northwest, and so oysters are so rich in zinc and all of these minerals that really help to support, um, you know, a vibrant, uh, a vibrant and healthy system. And so I would eat those, um, and lots and lots of bone broths as well. Oh, that sounds so delicious. Now, I I hear that you're saying you you really did have quite a different experience with your first pregnancy and birthing experience and your second. So what made you, what in all of that made you decide to change to have a home birth your second time through? 
that with my first, my eldest birth had there been a midwife, a, a home birth midwife in my area, we would have chosen a home birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I lived in a very rural community and the only midwife that, that would attend births in that area was in Antarctica for the season. So oh. that didn't work out. So I ended up choosing an OBGYN. Um, and the second time I chose a home birth midwife simply because I wanted to be I wanted the safety to give birth at home. I wanted the autonomy to to make decisions. And I wanted to be able to work with a practitioner who truly listened to me. And in my experience in working with an OBGYN, I, I never felt listened to. Uh, you know, I had a birth plan that was discarded the moment I walked through uh, the hospital doors, and um, I was—I I could go on and on. I was given drugs that I didn't consent to um, that that made things difficult for me. And with um, with the home birth midwife, um, it was a more collaborative approach. I would say I felt listened to throughout the entire experience, and she took more proactive measures to ensure health throughout my pregnancy, such as, you know, we had very long um, sessions when we would meet and nutrition was at the forefront of that. Movement was at the forefront of that. So instead of waiting for potentially for for problems uh, related to pregnancy to arise, um, we made sure that I was in optimal health throughout the pregnancy. And there, that's two very different approaches. One is preventative and one is reactionary. Um, and also, you know, I was a, I'm a survivor of, of sexual assault. And so being in a situation where you're so incredibly vulnerable, you're exposed um, and you have people coming in and out of a room while you're trying to have what is a very intimate experience as a woman was was difficult for me. And that was the experience at the hospital where people um, – don't necessarily ask for your consent um, before you before they perform um, examinations or or they take a very authoritarian approach as opposed to seeing you as a human at the table as a woman who is experiencing um, the first birth of her child. Um, whereas with a home birth midwife, there was because it was such an intimate experience and such an intimate relationship between me and my wit- my midwife, I was able to work through a lot of those feelings. And for that reason, I feel that the, the home birth experience that I did have was an incredibly healing experience. Oh. It was, yes, it was. It was an incredibly healing experience. And it wasn't just about um, giving birth to a healthy baby. It was about you know, becoming a mother again. Um, it was about the vulnerability that you experience as you, as your body, um, begins to give life in this new way. And it was, um, the, the fact that I was able to experience that within the parameters that I had set within the safety of my own home while still being cared for, um, by, uh, you know, a trained and very experienced professional, was very powerful for me. Oh, I love that. I, And I think that you really alluded to such a critical point of the time that's taken in the prenatal period is just 
you know, it's so conducive to that beautiful healing experience that you had. Absolutely. It was integral to that, to that experience, that, that experience of healing and of empowerment. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the fact that I had asked for greater autonomy, um, with my midwife, you know, I said, I, I want, um, I don't need somebody to, to be there, you know, on top of me, constantly monitoring, you know, if the belt slips off in the, in the labor and delivery room, you know, you've got a gaggle of nurses that rush in when you're mm-hmm. just, you know, just trying to move so you can get comfortable, the ability to move, the ability to, you know, I think with my first pregnancy, um, I, I wasn't, I was, you know, allowed to, you know, suck on ice chips, my goodness, and hours and hours and hours of doing this very physical work and just ice chips. Um, Whereas with home birth, it's a much more organic, holistic and respectful experience. Oh, that's amazing. Well, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear your home birth story. Would you be willing to share that with us? It would be my pleasure. I mean, because I like talking about the birth of their children. (laughs) Um, let me see. So it started for me. Um, my first was late. You know, we talk about these due dates, like they're set in stone. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when the reality is that you have kind of a, a due season or a due month, you know? And so, um, with my first, there was a lot of pressure to have an induction, which I held off as long as I, I could. Whereas with my second uh, child, when the due date came and went, um, my midwife looked me in the eyes and she said to me, as long as everything looks healthy, I'm willing to take the time that you need to have this baby. And that was a very powerful thing for me to hear because I had a lot of anxiety going into the second birth that was related to the induction I had with my first. Um, and knowing that she was there to support me for as long as my baby needed to come was a really powerful thing. So sure enough, the due date came and went. A week went by and she said, OK, now let's go um, you know, get a, a biophysical profile just to, to see how things are doing. And sure enough, the baby looks great. She says, OK, we'll do that again in a couple of days if you haven't given birth. And, and this went on for two weeks, I think. I want to say Ooh. two, maybe three weeks. Um, and finally, uh, after after going to, um, you know, for these, these profiles and this additional um, observation, uh, my, I started having contractions at, I think, 42 days, uh, 42 weeks. And I had had these contractions on and off for, for days before. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think this is it. Right. So I was walking like crazy, going up and down hills, down to the beach, back up the mountain over and over again to try to walk the baby out. Um, and finally it was that evening on at 42 weeks that, uh, I started to have these contractions more consistently. And I'm, I'm sitting there eating dinner with my, my oldest son and I'm saying, Oh yeah, my back hurts a little bit, but I, Oh, it's fine. It's fine. He says, mom, you should, you should call the midwife. And it's like, Oh yeah, it's, I'm sure it's not the baby coming. It's not like I'm 42 weeks pregnant. Right. Right. (laughs) Not expecting Um, a baby anytime soon. Right. (laughs) So sure enough, I go upstairs and I'm like, Oh, can you just 
rub on my back. And, and finally, um, and this was probably about seven or eight o'clock, um, in the evening. And, and finally, I'm starting to see that these contractions are happening, uh, more regularly, really regularly at that point. And I had only really felt my first contraction, maybe I would say around like six thirty or seven, maybe, um, that's not even true. It was like eight o'clock. Um, and so I called the midwife and she says, Oh yeah, don't, don't worry about it. Call me back in an hour and see how you're doing. By the time it, that next hour comes, I'm in transition full blown. Oh, my she word. comes over and the baby was born 45 minutes later after she arrived. Oh. Um, and he came like, it was such a wild thing because I had read about the maternal ejection reflex, the maternal mm-hmm. fetal ejection reflex. And it was fascinating to me that you, you wouldn't have to push. Um, cause I'd spent two plus hours pushing with my first child and sure enough, three, con- three contractions in, in the tub and that baby was out. Wow. Um, and we, uh, were able, I was able to hold him while he was still attached to me via the cord. Um, my husband, you know, pushed the midwife out of the way and hopped into the tub so that he could catch. And, um, and then we snuggled in bed. Oh, that is so beautiful. So your pushing phase was, was pretty short. Yeah, it was, I was not even cognizant of it. In fact, um, it all happened so quickly from like the first real contraction when they became regular to the moment the baby was born was, was about four hours total. Oh, Um, it was really fast and really hard once it got hard. Um, and it was so much so that here I am in the middle of, of what I realize now is transition. And my husband has put on all the music that I had talked about. Like, can you have this music playing? And, and I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to be so bored. I have hours and hours and hours left on this. Hey, can you go, you know, can you put on Curb Your Enthusiasm? Cause I'd really like to watch it. Just oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he like, Jen, are you, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, there's hours left. Um, I need Larry David to <laughs> get me ready to have a baby. <laughs> was that bizarre? What do you think? And I was like, I was convinced that I was going to be bored and that we were going to have hours and hours and hours. Well, sure enough, the baby is born like that, right? In, in a snap. Um, so the midwife was very curious why, uh, why Curb was uh, on the TV when she walked into the room. Um, so... We anyway. had Animal House playing, so <laughs> I'm not too far away from you there. Right. But it was uh, fast. It was a fast labor and a very fast pushing phase. Like, I wasn't even cognizant that I should be pushing because I'm laboring. I feel a contraction. There's his head. There's his shoulders. And he's born. Wow. That's amazing. And that, so I'm going to go ahead and plug your pregnancy tea at this point, because we were talking about it before we started uh, recording. And I'm going to say that's the pregnancy tea right there. Will you tell everyone what I'm talking about? Right. So, um, so there's a pregnancy tea recipe on my website. It was um, passed me by my midwives, and then I made adjustments to it to include some herbs that I, I particularly like. It's got red raspberry and, you know, oat straw and nettle and I think lemon balm, all sorts of good stuff in there. Um, but here's the interesting thing about 
the pregnancy teas, they actually have done research on the use of red raspberry leaf in pregnancy, particularly in the third trimester. And they found that it significantly reduced, at least significantly for the women, reduced uh, time in stage two labor. That is the time you spent pushing. So in my experience now, I was guzzling a quarter of that a day, at least. Um, I, I would say that I there was no pushing time for me. It was the baby was born in contractions. Um, but pregnancy tea, you can go, just Google pregnancy tea uh, nourish kitchen. Yeah, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes because I link it everywhere I go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am like seriously, I'm drinking it right now. I'm addicted to it. And I find that interesting though because I, as I was telling you with my first pregnancy, I did do still red raspberry leaf, nettle, alfalfa, and peppermint. And though I did have a very long labor, my pushing phase was 11 minutes. Wow. So, yeah. So I, I bet that, I bet it's related. Yeah. Um, yeah. The research on red raspberry is, is really interesting. That is so neat. So we've talked about your prenatal experience. We've talked about your birth. What was your postpartum recovery like this last time? And what did you do specifically to encourage good recovery? So there is a fantastic book out there, and it's called uh, The First 40 Days. And that was a gift to me. And so it talks about the laying in period. Um, now, all across the world, there's this, uh, there's a persistent idea that women need to rest after they have uh, given birth, that they have this sacred time, um, depending on which culture it is, it's usually 30, to, 30 days to maybe six weeks. Um, of time spent laying in, of becoming a new mother, of resting, of nursing your baby and forming that bond. And and during that time, women typically eat more nutrient-rich or nutrient-dense foods like warming broths or stews or special teas. Um, and it was at the recommendation of my, my midwives um, that um, she said, they both said to me, they said, it will be easier for you the, the more slowly you take this po- this immediate postpartum period. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said, rest, don't push yourself. Now is the time for you to take care of yourself and, and rest rest in bed. Um, don't go on serious walks, um, you know, and, and keep mindful of um, how you feel and, you know, any clotting or bleeding that you experience um, if you start to, uh, for example, if you start to experience a higher level of bleeding after it is kind of waned, that's an indication they told me that you're doing too much. Mm-hmm. And so I really listened to that. Um, I took care of myself, uh, my, or my husband took care of me by, uh, by providing me with a lot of nutrient dense foods that he had prepared in advance. Um, I was mindful of, you know, dairy intake because uh, that can that can make for fussy babies sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ate a lot of uh, bone broths and like iron-rich foods. So um, I don't typically eat large amounts of meat, but, but my goodness, that those first few weeks postpartum, I wanted steak and stir fries and bison stews and and all of that stuff so I ate a lot of like iron and mineral rich foods uh postpartum and I also had uh, my placenta encapsulated so I took placenta pills um 
and consumed a lot of probiotic foods as well as hydrating foods because when you're nursing, um, you need a lot of hydration um, in the beginning, especially after so much fluid loss um, that naturally happens during during birth. Um, so I took care of myself and, and my family took care of me as well. And that was a big contrast to um, my first birth uh, 13 years ago in which um, I was called back. I was working full time in an office and I had been called back uh, two weeks postpartum. Um, oh. And I had, was supposed to have, you know, like six weeks. And they said, essentially, come back. And being this, the sole earner for my family, I, I was back two weeks postpartum, and, and that was difficult. Um, and so I really enjoyed the period of, of lying in that, that, those first six weeks. I think by week three, I got a little stir-crazy. So. <laughs> I can <laughs> imagine. <laughs> but felt good to, to rest at home and to grow into the, that sense of new motherhood of the pressures of caring for a newborn. Right. That just, you know, I always think, you know, you're never going to get that newborn phase back. You're never, you know, you only get that for such a short period of time. And that ability to just laze around and have people take care of all of the normal things that you're taking care of for you to just be with your baby is such an absolute gift. And I wish it for every mother. Yes. Yes. And um, it's unfortunate that that in our culture, I don't think that in our culture, we value other things. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that we value mothers or the mother-child relationship as much as we should. And uh, women are really urged to get back into shape, get back into the office like I was, um, and into... And in that, they fail to experience this this kind of sacred time, um, and it's because culturally, we we value other things more. Right, and and you know, I think that whole the whole nutrient dense way of life, you know, it kind of teaches you to slow down. Not everything is made in five minutes. Not everything is just you know you drive through a line and have it prepared, you kind of have to learn to take your time with things. So I can imagine that applying that to the postpartum period would make sense to you. It, did. it worked for me. And I, I feel grateful that um, my family was in a position where we could do that since we work at home. Jenny, what recommendations would you give to a mother who is wanting to have a healthy home birth? I think the, the best thing that a mother who is looking for you know, a healthy home birth to do would be to make sure that she has a very positive and collaborative relationship with her healthcare provider and her midwife. Um, beyond that, when it comes to diet nutrition, I think that women should, should really focus on healthy and nutrient-dense whole foods and a balanced diet that is inclusive of animal foods and plenty of plant foods. Um, there are certain nutrients that, that pregnant and breastfeeding women have a special need for, and those include things like zinc, um, B12, folate, and, and a nutrient called choline. Choline is, is relatively difficult to get. You can find it in abundance in egg yolks and liver, but it's not really prevalent in a lot of other foods. And the research on choline shows that uh, 
overall our both maternal choline intake and everybody's choline intake overall is pretty pretty low. And they found that uh, women who take uh, who consume plenty of choline during pregnancy um, have children who have better long-term memories. Choline is, is linked to long-term memory and a lot of cognitive uh, issues to do with cognitive functions. So if you want babies to have healthy brains, make sure that you're eating choline-rich foods, foods that are rich in EPA and DHA, such as you know wild-caught fish, um, and plenty of protein. I think that Lily Nichols, she is a registered dietitian that works with uh, pregnant and uh, Pregnant Mothers um, has an excellent book called, you know, Real Food for Pregnancy, and that is a great starting off point for anybody who's looking to read more specifically about nutrition and nutrient intake during pregnancy. Awesome. I will definitely be looking that one up. Now, so I would love for you, Jenny, to just please tell my listeners where they can find out more about you and about Nourished Kitchen. Yeah. Um, you can find my my first book. It's called The Nourished Kitchen in bookstores nationwide. You can order it from your local library or you can order it from your um, you know, local bookseller. It is also available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. And it is a beautiful, seasonal, uh, intensely uh, traditional approach to foods. Lots of uh, good broths and wholesome stews and lots of vegetables and fresh fruits and naturally sweetened desserts um, in that book called The Nourished Kitchen. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Nourished Kitchen, as well as visit my website called nourishkitchen.com, where you'll find loads of recipes and a lot of tips about embracing a traditional foods lifestyle and, and you know, raising a healthy family. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. I tried pretty hard not to fangirl you too much during the episode, but I am just so honored that you were able to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It is my pleasure. I think that um, we need to empower women in in reproductive choices. And I think one of the most powerful reproductive choices um, that should be more available to women is the ability to choose their practitioner and birth at home if they choose. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. My pleasure.